Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects building bridges to one another and how you can participate in the future of the internet. Today, our guest is from the Polkadot ecosystem. His name is Xerox Brainjar from Composable Finance. They're building composability between Polkadot and Cosmos ecosystems. And we're going to talk about their new protocol called Crosschain XCVM, Crosschain Virtual Machine. I'm here with Brainjar. So maybe you could give an intro about yourself and then we'll take it from here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Brainjar. Um, CEO and founder of Composable Finance. Um, so what we're working on really is trying to improve uh, user experiences across the entire DeFi ecosystem. And how we're addressing that is by uh, creating interoperable sort of orchestration infrastructure that lives on top of trustless transport layers, namely IBC. So a lot of you have probably heard about the work we're doing to connect Cosmos and Polkadot, but we're also bringing IBC to Near and uh, numerous other chains in the roadmap. And you guys were at OsmoCon as well, um, talking on a panel and released some nice alpha about your XCVM. Can you talk about how you build this sort of orchestration engine on top of IBC? Yeah, so IBC is kind of has always been utilized for passing tokens from chain to chain. I think Osmosis did a fantastic job of actually showing the use case of IBC. But what's also beneficial about IBC is the capability to actually pass messages from chain to chain. You're starting to see this now with interchain accounts, which allows for communication between uh, one chain to another that allows for sort of specific functionalities. I'm excited to see sort of like what Quicksilver, for instance, intends to do with interchain accounts. But just taking this a step further, I think as we were looking at the landscape and realizing we are connecting so many different chains via IBC, for someone to actually build a very nice cross-chain application, there needed to be this asynchronous execution a protocol that lives on top of message passing protocols. So basically, if you want to you know, open a position on say and then hedge that out on another say injective and then ship a sort of LP position or a loan on another chain, you really have to do all these different things one by one. And with XCVM, you're actually able to instruct all of these different steps in a single contract, and then IBC passes these instructions from chain to chain. All right. So I guess just to disambiguate some of the protocols, because we've talked about a lot of them right now, what would be the difference between IBC, XCVM, and the Polkadot cross-chain communication protocol that's native to their ecosystem? Yeah, so IBC is a, you know, as as you all know, is a trustless 
light client based, light client verification based communication protocol traditionally between Cosmos SDK chains that have become IBC enabled. However, what we're also, what we found very quickly is that you can extend IBC to other ecosystems. We're starting this with Polkadot, um, where we hope parachains can actually speak to each other using IBC, but also, of course, that parachains can talk to Cosmos chains using IBC as well. So IBC is obviously a competitor to XCM, which is the essentially the IBC of Polkadot. However, the main difference is that XCM is heavily sort of substrate chain focused. So you can't actually extend XCM at its current um, status to other ecosystems. And, and it's also sort of like a much less lightweight than IBC. And so what we're trying to do here by A, allowing parachains to talk to each other via IBC, but also B, bringing IBC to other ecosystems is really saying, okay, look, all change should talk to each other using the same format, and that is IBC. And XCVM is then a framework that of sort of logic for these types of messages. So if you have the same syntax and the same types of messages being passed, you can then sort of just like a word processor, once you have words, you can actually you know start putting together sentences, et cetera. And so that's our vision for XCVM is essentially a framework built on top of Cosmwasm uh, to allow for people to write these types of like composed functionalities across multiple different ecosystems that then taps into this message passing, universal message passing format. Am I correct in thinking that the motivation for building this is to extend the functionality of Polkadot's XEM? I would say the reasoning behind why we built this was because we want a world in which people can build applications that actually run on multiple other applications in the background. So if you have this kind of like application-specific chain, application-specific roll-up thesis, you then believe that uh, there will be a future where there's new applications that tap into these application-specific chains. And so... XCVM is essentially a framework uh, for like specifying logic across multiple different ecosystems. XCVM and XCM actually have nothing to do with each other. Um, XCVM is transport layer agnostic. So if someone wanted to use XCM instead of IBC, they could. But the real intention here is to bring in orchestration to interoperability, to let people be able to do things across multiple chains without having a disastrous user experience. Am I correct in distilling it down in this way, which is before the paradigm you had to work with with smart contracting would be you choose a layer one, for example, Ethereum, and then deploy a an application on top of that layer one. Whereas now we're at a stage of interoperability where something like XCVM allows people to build their dApp on this XCVM framework that abstracts away the underlying layer one uh, while using the native communication protocol slash transport layer of those ecosystems. That's right, yeah. So for instance, if somebody wanted to deploy a, a lending protocol that then tapped into, you know, say Osmosis or some decks on near as a liquidation framework, 
Like that's now possible with XCBM. Whereas before, like you'd have to basically deploy your application into all these different locations and then have those applications call those protocols. And then you'd have like a centralized reconciliation system. Now it's like a fully trustless kind of orchestration logic layer that taps into this um, communication. Right. So that's actually very exciting because now we're sort of in the next phase of the internet of blockchains. I think this is actually a necessary part of the stack that's going to bring us closer to building a network of networks of blockchains, meaning the, so the internet of blockchains is inching ever closer with this. So yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's, I'm, I'm really excited to see not only like the sort of cross chain future where like an application like sushi, for instance, uh, can actually do interesting things between these different instances, but also a world in which you don't have to rewrite a DEX or rewrite a lending protocol 10 different times to just get yeah. the same type of functionality. Right. So if I'm understanding this correctly, in a few years' time, maybe even a few months' time, multi-chain is going to be relegated to the past. Because why would you need to port a smart contract over to the ecosystem when you could just do it once on something like this framework? That's a very XCVM maximalist perspective, but yes, that's that's what I'd like to see too. Right. So just to just to compare um, what the I mean, assuming that this gains adoption and this actually is the like the viable product that the market sticks to, let's talk about what the world looks like without this framework. Which is, if I were trying to build a Dex aggregator let's say a DEX aggregator only in the Cosmos ecosystem. There's a huge challenge with that because I need to build cross-chain routers. Does this make my life easier if I were trying to do, you know, cross-chain order routing? And so a use case like a DEX aggregator would actually be easier to be built. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so traditionally what you'd have to do is you'd have to, so let's just talk about one inch, right? So one inch is like doing, Dex aggregation on a single chain, right? So which uh, makes it easier compared to what you'd have to do in Cosmos. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. So if you wanted to do Dex aggregation across the Cosmos ecosystem, like one inch can't do that because there's no such thing as a cross-chain one inch because it's like uh, they never actually like explored that. And within the within the Cosmos ecosystem, you'd basically have to deploy this one inch functionality on every single like chain, depending on how many DEXs there are on that chain. For instance, there could be multiple DEXs on Juno, multiple DEXs on Osmosis. So you'd have to essentially aggregate on a chain by chain basis um, and then have some sort of like centralized authority perform reconciliation to figure out like what the best order routes would look like. With XCVM, instead, you'd have a single contract um, that can essentially like uh, receive orders like kind of like an RFQ type system and be able to then sort of broadcast this to a network of solvers. So basically say market makers compute the best possible route for a specific trade to get executed and then route different pieces of the of a single order to multiple DEXs and then one final sort of reconciliation at wherever the user wants to be. I think that's that's very powerful because now you move from okay, 
there's absolutely no chance we'll be able to split up the order across, you know, five, six different DEXs. Um, we're just going to basically like choose one chain and hope you get the best price. Like now you're actually definitely getting the best price. So architecturally speaking, let's zoom out a little bit. Where does this framework sit? Yeah. So basically, uh, this framework is so it depends on essentially where you want to deploy your XCVM contract. So you have the option to deploy your XCVM contract onto Picasso, so our Kuzama parachain, or you could also deploy it on just your chain. And then we have a network of interpreter contracts, so contracts that can interpret messages passed uh, from chain to chain that then perform logic based on what's the message content contents actually have. So if you wanted to write an XCVM contract in Solidity and deploy it on Evmos, you could. If you wanted to deploy this as using this cause this like Cosmosm framework we have, you could just deploy it on Picasso, you could deploy it on Osmosis. It's essentially completely chain agnostic. Um, and but what is sort of like difficult is then like the, the work that we have to do is then maintaining these interpreters on every single chain so that these messages can get interpreted and passed on to the next chain properly. Got it. So is the role of an interpreter similar to that of a relayer? So a relayer passes, passes the message from one chain to the next. And then when the message is relayed by the relayer, there needs to essentially be a translator that says, okay, this message says X, Y, Z. Um, and then the interpreter then can perform things like calls to protocols. Um, and it's all fully sort of non-custodial and trustless. So the user is always signing to actually make these calls. And then this like essentially smart contract interpreter is like handling this on behalf of the user. All right. So let's go back to basics because you did mention Picasso. And as I understand it, Picasso is a separate chain from the Composable Finance parachain. So Picasso is a parachain on Kusama and Composable Finance is your main chain basically on, on Polkadot. That's right. That right. That's right. Yeah. So every parachain project has two chains and it's really on the, the project to define what they want to do with each chain. For us, like we're betting pretty strongly that the Kusama ecosystem is the actual ecosystem with with like diehard degen sort of users and people who are willing to innovate. Cause I think Kuzama's like whole vibe was, you know, expect chaos, build to fail, like these types of things. So every single thing that we release is going to go through Picasso first. And once it's like stable, we'll ship them up to the Polkadot parachain um, as well. And then essentially we, we will look to the community to tell us Okay, so what should the focus of each chain really be? Again, I'm I personally am very sort of Kuzama oriented because I do like this this vibe of like fail forward and think about sort of what's actually possible. And with XCBM, like we're targeting developers in the Cosmos and Polkadot communities who've always wanted to build like crazy complex applications spanning like five, six, seven different chains, as an example but just haven't ever been able to do so. And so it definitely fits Kuzama's vibe a lot more than it does Polkadot. What sorts of developers 
want to build with five different chains and what kind of applications could they build with that? Yeah, so that's a great question. So as an example, say you are a options protocol and you're now offering options vaults to people. Say you're essentially just a ribbon finance on Cosmos, for instance, or a Dopex on Cosmos. At some point, there's going to be a cap of the types of uh, things that you can actually do with these options vaults, right? Normally, they're like single leg options. Normally, it's doing one very specific thing. But what if you could actually have options vaults that where you could open up positions on multiple chains? So you have a short, so essentially you have a put on a, on Picasso, and you have a call on, you know some other you know say or injective or any of these like other sort of derivatives oriented chains that's never been done before and i think that opens up a massive design space because now the world of tradfi has always been about open a position hedge it maintain that position for you know six to twelve hours close it out profit move on and no one like decentralized derivatives we just haven't been able to get to that point yet because we don't have this like composability between chains and you're very much so limited to one chain at a time so i think this is going to be something that's super exciting for people who want to build complex financial applications but also if someone just wants to build a very simple like you know deposit money and yield farm across you know 20 different chains for instance and just you know, and still have custody of their funds and still be able to, you know, track where their money is actually going. Like something like that is traditionally like CD-fied, such as Celsius or one of these other places. But now with XCVM, you can actually build these types of like, you know, invest and have your money live on a bunch of different chains for the first time, trustlessly and non-custodially. Yeah, so you could do something like what, Yieldmos or Quasar are doing, creating vaults and allowing uh, money managers to come and create strategies on top of those vaults in a way that is cross ecosystem. Exactly. So, so this is this is sort of more powerful, but also extends the capability of interchain accounts while potentially leveraging something like AuthC, right? Where somebody doesn't necessarily need to give up all permissions of their of their uh, assets in their account while allowing someone else to create strategies and yield farm across all of these ecosystems for them absolutely yeah so interchain i yeah i've been making comparisons between this and interchain accounts like the same way that people are excited about interchain accounts xcvm is essentially a superset of what interchain accounts can do and I also think XCVM, like interchain accounts is always limited on a chain, like a pair of chains at a time. If you're trying to do one specific transaction, you can't do interchain accounts with like five different chains. Again, you're going to need some orchestration logic to, to handle that, like pair by pair by pair. So you get to the fifth like sequence, basically. So I think what's what's really interesting here is, first of all, yeah, you're not granting access to somebody else of your assets ever through this XCVM structure. Like that was the one biggest thing we did. Like 
doing orchestration and having chains talk to each other to accomplish one goal, it's so easy to do that and then throw in centralization. And we really just wanted to like avoid centralization at all costs. And so it's been a painful journey to like actually build this in a fully decentralized way. But yeah, essentially at, at all steps, you're able to withdraw. And you can, if you just don't want to participate in something, you can just decline and withdraw your funds from signing. So yeah, I think that's like very powerful because it also maintains like permission always in the hands of the user. Yeah, that's probably the best way forward for the industry, especially as we learned it the hard way, why we shouldn't just hand over our keys and coins to somebody else to manage. You talked about decentralization. So that opens up the question about how it is decentralized, right? We want to understand what the structure of the validators are versus uh, everything else around it that that dictates consensus. So in Polkadot, I guess you guys have this word called collator, right? And that's your equivalent of the validator. Yeah. So in Polkadot, um, transactions are submitted to the parachain individually. They're then basically collated by collators. And then the blocks are submitted to the relay chain for final validation. So there is like this age old discussion of like, does that make Polkadot inherently centralized versus just having a, you know, your own chain with validators and then sort of just shared security from the Cosmos hub. And I don't really see like a ton of huge difference, um, especially because what the collators are actually doing is much less, uh, they have much less control over transactions than a, than a validator. And of course, like, the relay chain is providing shared security. So uh, that's also like very helpful. And I think, you know, the Cosmos ecosystem is now trying to introduce this as well because it is helpful for chains that have like tons and tons of TVL and value flowing. But yeah, there's always like, there's always this concern that the relay chain is just a hub of centralization, but it is pretty diverse, the number of validators that are validating the actual Polkadot and Kuzama relay chains. So I'd say I would consider both networks to be sort of, the only way you get to like true Valhalla decentralization is if essentially like every chain is standalone and has kind of a super diverse validator set of people who don't validate other chains perhaps. But I just think the, the way the world is, is going, like a chain existing in a uh, shared security environment, kind of inevitably, there's there's always a little bit of centralization added just because the same validators are validating across the board, probably across multiple ecosystems. And so I think it is on every team to make sure that there is like diversity in the validation process. Sure. And how many collators are on Polkadot's parachains right now? Or sorry, relay chain. For the relay, um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not, I think it's definitely more than like 50 people for sure. 50 validators. I could get the exact numbers, but yeah, that's, I think it's, it's definitely quite high. I think 50 is actually an, an understatement. I think there actually was like a thousand validator program a while ago. So I might just be completely way off. But yeah, when I looked at the ecosystem, it, back when they were spinning up initial validators, 
for the ecosystem. I do remember the thousand validator program. So I do think there's still a thousand validators for Polkadot, which to me feels pretty decentralized. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know enough about how Polkadot does consensus, but a thousand validator slot tells me that they are trying to establish longest chain proof of stake similar to ETH2, right? Nakamoto consensus. So they're not actually, they're not BFT. Am I understanding that correctly? That's, yeah, essentially correct, yeah. Okay, there's not really this sort of limitation on uh, signatories slowing down the blockchain, I suppose. Oh, so there definitely is like a a scaling scaling yeah so people yeah, until keep, we have bls or something yeah party computation yeah so there yeah we've begun also looking into like like potentially moving some of the cro- uh, contract components into roll-up architectures already um because yeah eventually there is definitely going to be a problem for just parachain block times and parachain scaling i think mm. are you already seeing that or are you really are you already feeling the pain of that or do you anticipate maybe in 12 months or something when we get the bull market back that yeah exactly we're just we're just anticipating it we're definitely by no means like i don't think any parachain is driving enough traffic right now to actually be a problem and is there a finite amount of parachains that are allowed to operate on mainnet and Polkadot? i believe it's a cap of 100 chains but governance can always add more chains Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. So I guess Kusama acts sort of like Polkadot's layer two in that sense. That's a good way. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, to be honest, I think everyone has always looked at like Kusama as being Polkadot's like, I don't know, just test net. But yeah. then, yeah. yeah, at some point there was like a... There was a shift where like Kuzama actually had TVL and and was a top 100 coin and was doing super well. And I think people were like quickly realized, okay, Kuzama is definitely not just like some random place to just like do whatever kind of, but actually like a real experimentation ground for for innovation. So I think overall, like there's just been this, uh, there's now this shift where it definitely feels like Kuzama attracts the layer two communities like people who prefer chief transactions DeFi degens etc um whereas Polkadot definitely seems to attract like more whales and institutional players and is kusama permissioned as well in terms of which projects can get a parachain there yeah you have to go through a parachain slot auction yeah but it is like the price for both so to be honest like uh, I've definitely seen a lot of criticisms of Polkadot and Kusama from the Cosmos ecosystem about this idea of like paying rent for security by getting these parachain slots. But honestly, if anyone's checked the costs for these things recently, someone picked up a Polkadot parachain slot for like 120 dot, which which at the time was like 2K or something like that. So I think overall, like, we're seeing the barrier to entry being much, much lower over time. Over time, why is that? Is it just by virtue of the market going down? I think there's, yes, but also I think just supply and demand. There's more parachain slots than there are parachains that are going to actually bid for those slots, to be honest. 
we've established some fundamentals, so that's great. But for Composable Finance and Picasso, you guys have both collators and oracles. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's paint a full picture about how they just work together. Yeah, for sure. So um, there is no oracle solution in Polkadot right now. So that's why we built an oracle. So the way the oracle basically works is you put down a stake, you submit a price, um, and essentially if you're there's essentially like multiple oracles in the network. So essentially prices that are submitted, they're way off the average that's been, uh, that was essentially printed at the last block get slashed. And then oracles that have been submitting like honest prices uh, receive a reward. So it does function in the very similar way as collators where collators get given rewards for collating, but oracles to some extent are slightly more, slightly more of a lucrative process because not only is the overhead like more difficult, but it is also like a scenario where we want to reward honest actions because oracles form the bedrock of, you know, DeFi. So is the intention with Picasso's oracles to become sort of a de facto pillar in the Polkadot ecosystem? Yeah. If they're looking for oracle services? I think so, yeah. And I think as well, like, I'm not entirely sure um, how many super amazing oracles there are in the Cosmos ecosystem. Like, I know Band is kind of, like, in use, but I know, speaking to various people, like, I people want various oracles, for sure. So yeah. something like our oracle could submit prices to, you know, a lending market or something in Cosmos over IBC. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting. So we do want it to become this sort of pillar Oracle solution for Polkadot and Kuzama for ourselves because we need it. But then just ho hoping to offer that to other ecosystems as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about Interchain FM Stake. Interchain FM is not only a podcast, but also a steakhouse. IFM Stake is a premium sushi-grade steakhouse running on Osmosis, Umi, and Comdex. If you get your alpha from this podcast, show us some love by delegating to Interchain FM Steak. So what are the, I guess, rewards in terms of incentivization for either a collator and a Oracle? Yeah, so um, that's... You said the overhead for Oracle is higher, right? Why is that? Because you have to run a price server. So you have to pull prices from, from various places, places like Binance, places from... Uh, places like, uh, you know, the uh, there's like various price aggregation services out there. So you have to run a price server and then you have to run the infrastructure to submit those prices for the sort of like uh, rewards process. As far as the rewards, there's like a percentage of token supply allocated. This is in our Git book. So docs.composable.finance. That's like set aside for both oracles and for collators. And then the intention is... Over time, that amount can be essentially re-upped by the treasury. Obviously, they're like pretty substantial amounts. So hoping that doesn't like run out <laughs> um, over like a short period of time. But yeah, the intention there is for the, tr the treasury to like re-up rewards in Pika for, for those services. And what are the sort of setup requirements that are needed for running a collator versus Oracle? 
So collator is pretty straightforward. Like you just essentially just need to have uh, like some sort of like server system at like GCP, AWS, something like that. And then you follow our um, steps and pretty much every other parachain team has the same exact steps. So it's like very, very straightforward. And there's lots of tutorials online if you get stuck. But for oracles, we had to write a custom guide. Very much so have been hand-holding people. And we're hoping to improve this guide based on the feedback we've received so that anyone could run an oracle at some point. How does this lend itself to Picasso's tokenomics versus composable finances tokenomics? Yeah. So right, so right now the Oracle is exclusively on Picasso, right? Because yeah. you don't want it to go onto your quote unquote mainnet until it's more stable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Until it's like secured like over fifty to a hundred million dollars worth of CBL, like I don't think it's ready to graduate to Polkadot. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, basically both chains have have collators, but the Oracle is only present on Picasso at the moment. When we decide to bring it up to Polkadot slash if we decide to, aka if governance decides to, then I think similar tokenomics would be implemented. What's the revenue generation model for people running the Oracle while on Picasso? What are the um, tokenomics around that? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, we have a model for this that, that like I'm happy to uh, share for sure. But basically, like it's it's going to start out. So I believe we set aside eight percent of supply. Again, I, these are just off the top of my head. Definitely check the docs. Hopefully, I'm not saying anything wrong. But basically, these things are we've set aside a specific amount of supply, and it's sort of like a starts out with rewards essentially matching the underlying stake uh, and then it quickly tapers off to become something a little bit more balanced because that's obviously crazy APY and over time uh, like we're hoping to maintain something that would be similar to like you know collator APY or validator APY on the Polkadot relay chain itself which is right now I think floating around like 12% or something like that. So that is kind of like what we're going to do. I think we'll leave a lot of this up to governance to make adjustments, but that's kind of like the initial thing we're going to propose. So currently on Picasso, this is where you're building the composable suite of DeFi applications. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Finance, there's not, there's nothing on it yet, just yet. Right. Yeah, that's right. So basically we're, we're heavily focused on trying to revitalize the actual like Dotsama ecosystem. And to do so, we've really needed to work a lot on building a DEX that actually makes sense. So we've built this Pablo DEX because there is not an amazing DEX for people to interact with in the Polkadot and Kuzama ecosystems. And we, I mean, there's, there's a few, well, Moonbeam is basically like EVM, right? So it's not like actual substrate native assets. So if you want to swap your, your KSM for another asset, you have to bridge your KSM to Moon River and it becomes this thing called XC KSM and then you can swap it. So we, I want to basically introduce a DEX, a DEX where basically you can just trade KSM for anything else you want directly 
as far as Pablo decks. So Pablo is very interesting because we're introducing um, XY equals K, AMM, stable swap, and also introducing balancer sort of weighted pools. So you'll have also the capability to perform LBPs on Pablo as well. Now, the thing that I also, we also implemented for Pablo where I was inspired by uh, Larry, like Mars Protocol Larry recently is he was, he put out this thread where he was like, it's really important for Cosmosm assets to be supported natively. And uh, we obviously support Cosmosm on our chain. And so when the Pablo Dex launches and when Cosmosm is fully stable and functional on our chain, you'll be able to deploy a Cosmosm token that actually traded on this substrate native Dex. So I think that that's really exciting as well, especially when the bridge is live, because if, for instance, you know, you want to bridge a CW20 token over, you'd be able to tap into to the existing liquidity of a substrate native DEX. Let me just see if I understand that correctly, because this is um, very bleeding edge, which is if a chain is Cosmosm enabled, it runs Cosmosm on the yep. application layer, whether it be a Cosmos SDK chain or a substrate chain, Without bridging, they can swap CW native tokens between each other? So first of all, it depends where those CW20 tokens come from. But in essence, so for instance, say you want to deploy a CW20 token on our chain, you could then, you don't have to then swap that token on a Cosmwasm DEX, right? We could like, essentially, you don't have to go and look for a fork of Juno swap and to be able to trade. You could just go straight to Pablo, which is like the actual substrate native asset. So you'd be able to essentially swap from a CW20 token directly for something like KSM directly with no, yeah, ex exactly, with no bridging, none of that overhead infrastructure would be necessary. Now, when we actually have IBC between both chains, let's do the mental model of between Juno and Picasso. A Juno asset, so a CW20 token living on Juno, if they wanted to go to Osmosis, right, at this time, like I'm not sure if CW20 assets are supported by Osmosis, but assets on Osmosis are definitely typically assets in the actual Cosmos SDK assets module. So to trade a CW20 token, you're basically limited to like JunoSwap and other DEXs based on Cosmosm. So what you could do is you could then bridge those CW20 tokens over to Picasso and then trade them for something like KSM or even something like Atom once Atom is on our chain. Once Pika Atom is on your chain. Once, yeah. Well, once Atom is able to actually be uh, bridged over from the Cosmos Hub, basically. Right. And I believe you guys are also building that bridge, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the first, like... Cosmos uh, to Kuzama slash Polkadot Bridge, yeah. So what's the name of that? Was that Centauri? Was that yeah, exactly. Okay. And do you have timelines? You know, when is when is that going to be available? Yeah, so we're hoping to do like, so we're working with a bunch of Cosmos chains to do like testnet to testnet stuff, late September, early October. Um, we're hoping to ship a vast majority of the core protocol of Picasso, things like Cosmosm, things like the Pablo Dex, et cetera, uh, definitely in sort of 
like Q3. Uh, and then from, from there, we're hoping sometime within October, November, the one remaining piece really for us to, to have this fully live is, is, you know, we're working on refactoring the relayer uh, implementation to make it more chain agnostic. So we're, we're definitely the Go relayer and Hermes do not support non Cosmos SDK chains at the moment. So we're definitely keen on uh, expanding that. We're working with Strangelove to do so. And once that once that's finished, we're sort of unblocked to, to actually ship. So hoping to like ship the core of the protocol definitely before the end of the year. And along with that, you know, a very key piece is is this is this stuff. And what is Hermes? Hermes is the Rust implementation of a relayer from Informal. So there's like kind of two relayers in the Cosmos ecosystem. It's like Hermes. So if you're like a Rust maxi, you run Hermes. And then there's the Strangelove Go relayer. So if you're a Go maxi, you probably run that. Let's talk about Mosaic, Hollow, Cubic, and what are Chaos F NFTs? Okay, yeah. Mosaic is our solution to bridge to non-sort of like client-based chains. So it is like with ETH2 on the horizon, bit of an alpha leak, like we are definitely exploring bringing IBC to ETH2 and trying to be, a tr- you know, create an actual trustless bridge. I don't believe in non-trustless bridges like i just i just think that every trusted bridge will be replaced by a trustless bridge there's just no need any at some point most chains will be able to you know interface with ibc and i just don't see a future where trusted bridges live on at all so i'm not going to name any names but that's that then um as far as apollo apollo is the Wait, before before we move on to apollo mm-hmm. so okay ETH2 light clients are going to be incompatible with tenement-based light clients, at least in their initial phase, right, of, of going live. So, okay, so we've had to do a lot of work to change tenement, to make tenement light clients non, like able to interpret information from other chains, basically. So we've had to do a ton of stuff around like IBCRS, like, I, I don't even know how many packages we've had to refactor basically and like make chain agnostic, but that's definitely something we have worked to address by our current through our current work as well. Yeah. So we would essentially do that. So I don't know if you saw the Harmony Trustless Bridge between Harmony and Cosmos, but they have this package called IBC Solidity. And that's like one of the packages we would be working with to do this type of work. So the foundation is definitely there and it's possible. Whereas before it's just was simply was not possible. I, I don't mean to go into the ETH2 rabbit hole, but from what I understand, they're, the, the way that they're implementing their proof of stake and light clients is meant to be sort of a temporary measure as they have Casper. And then they intend to, at some point in the future, who knows how long, move to something that's more PBFT similar to Tendermint. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to, so we're going to have to basically build for both. So we're going to have like an interim solution. Okay. Understood. Well, I mean, thank you for doing God's work. (laughs) Building that because that is hard. Yeah. 
So actually, we're thinking about first starting with Polygon and then doing ETH2 because there's some like uh, curve stuff like EIP 2537 and 3026 that both need to get merged into ETH2 for this type of stuff to be possible. I don't know if you saw our, our um, near enhancement proposal, but like we have to essentially go to every single one of these ecosystems and harass them to make changes to their underlying protocol to make this possible. So we're hoping to start first with with Polygon, where hopefully it's like a little bit more amenable. And maybe more responsive and quicker iteration times. Exactly. All right, what's going on with Apollo? So Apollo is the Oracle. I think the best, like the the most sort of like positive thing about Apollo is that prices are printed at the top of every block. So that sort of does like introduce. So for instance, like if you're doing a lending function, the price has already, like the price that you're getting has just been printed. So there's no like gamifying that. And like oftentimes what you see in in Ethereum is that like flash loans are happening before an Oracle price is, is printed basically for that. So you end up seeing this Oracle manipulation uh, between like the lending protocol and the actual data feed. So for we decided to print these prices at the top of blocks specifically to avoid that problem. So that's the most exciting thing about Apollo. Sorry, if, if I understand this correctly, um, when you say you decided to print it at the top of blocks, you mean that the Oracle price is dictated at the beginning of a block as it is it's being composed exactly so we have our transactions are ordered yes yeah exactly and how does that mitigate the attack that you mentioned in flash loans because uh so typically with like a flash loan if there's for instance a delay in the price like pulling say on EVM, like you have very simple like lending market compound style situation. You could take out a flash loan, pull a bunch of liquidity from so say you're using Uni V3 TWAPs as an as an oracle, right? What you can do is you could take out a flash loan and inject it into a lending protocol as collateral, and your collateral will be worth a specific amount. And then you can go to the Uni V3 pool and say you're a massive liquidity provider there or something, or you use your flash, another part of your flash loan to just inject a bunch of t- like liquidity in there, you shift the price, your collateral is now worth more than it actually is worth. And then you're able to uh, take out a loan and drain the protocol. So essentially like by having the prices printed first, we're avoiding the situation where someone can manipula- manipulate the price and then take out a loan. Got it. Okay. So they take advantage of slippage or something, change the price to something more favorable, and then they take out a bigger loan based exactly. off of perceived higher collateral value. Yeah. Okay. And these things, I mean, small differences can be pretty disastrous, right? When you're talking about large amounts of funds. What's going on with Cubic? There's no such thing as a vault in Dotsama. So Cubic is basically a vault infrastructure. So if someone wanted to build a Quasar on Picasso, like they would use Cubic basically. What are Chaos FNFTs? So, okay. So basically like if you have a, a Pika, 
you can lock your Pika for an FNFT. So essentially say you want to lock it for two weeks or something, you receive an FNFT that essentially gives you a percentage of protocol earnings. So let's just say you lock up Pablo tokens for Pablo FNFTs, you get uh, emissions from the protocol. You also get say 20% of revenue from the protocol uh, and you can then do some interesting things down the line where Pablo will also have bonding. So like protocol own liquidity type style bonding. So if you have an FNFT down the line, you'll be able to do some sort of like Tokamak style liquidity providing uh, signaling. So Tokamak is this protocol on in L1 where people signal, okay, let's deploy the Tokamak liquidity into this protocol. And then those users that are doing the signaling get paid for this signaling. And then, of course, the protocol makes money, too, So uh, from liquidity providing. So if you hold an FNFT in the future, you'll be able to have this power to direct that uh, protocol on liquidity to various different locations, whether that's Cosmos, whether that's Costco, it's up to the FNFT holders. So did I just hear that you guys have some sort of ohm type model in the works on Pablo? I wouldn't necessarily call it like ohm because you have to ohm is all about me, you know, pr printing essentially bonding ohm die all the time and then printing more ohm. In this case, you're bonding uh, assets like KSM, USDC, whatever, in exchange for Pablo at a discount. So yeah, there is some like DGEN POL stuff, but it's not like we're creating a stable coin like ohm was, I mean, ohm was never a stable coin, like fractionalized reserve currency, whatever they like to call and it. Up only coin. Yeah, exactly. Down only. Yes. Okay. D does that mean that Pablo Dex is going to have its own token as well? Yes, it will. How many of the tech stack that we have just covered has their own token? Just, yeah, it's just Pablo and just Picasso. That's it. So Picasso is like the token used to secure the L1 and collators, oracles. Um, Picasso is the main token, basically. And then Pablo is just the token of the DEX. And Pablo is going to be hosted on Picasso. Exactly. Yep. And when is it going to go live? We're hoping sometime in October. Okay. We All just right. finished an audit and had uh, pretty positive feedback. So I think we're definitely hoping for October. And the final thing is your parachain vault strategy. Is there something that is relevant to this conversation here? Yeah, it was something that we had last year. So I found it odd that people couldn't participate in Polkadot uh, auctions, basically. So we set up a vault strategy where you would deploy uh, stable coins and then be able to have that stable coin farm um, on, say, Harvest Finance. And then you would essentially, like, whatever you were earning on your money would then be uh, used at, you know, a portion of that would basically be diverted to secure our parachain slot at auction. And so that was like a really, really solid way for us to get a bunch of sort of like cross ecosystem eyes because then ETH people now had access to parachain stuff. So that was exciting. But yeah, like we've pretty much all but deprecated that because um, we obviously secured the parachain slot. So 
it wasn't super necessary. But at, at its peak, we had like 50 million TVL. So yeah, people were definitely excited about that. So before we close out, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, if anyone's interested in extending IBC to other ecosystems, please reach out because this is really hard stuff. And I wish I could express to you how hard this is, but maybe you just have to see like the tear rolling down my cheek <laughs> when I'm looking at really bad code that we're going to, that we have to basically generalize. So yeah, feel if anyone's out there that's interested in this type of work, feel free to to reach out. There's lots of ways you can contribute, um, and we definitely want this to be. It's already a very collaborative effort across multiple different organizations. But yeah, that's all I'll say. RL asks, ask when they will ship anything. <laughs> that was spicy. Yeah, very spicy. Yeah. So uh, intending again, as mentioned, like you know, to release more details around launch um, when we're comfortable to. Um, but yeah, I think some of the timelines I mentioned during this, you know, you could look back to. Right. So actually, before we started this call, Brian and I were talking about how Composable Finance got incubated by sort of the same team as is incubating his team. So that was about a year ago, right? What, how did How did you guys get started? And how long have you guys been building for? Yeah, so we got started uh, May 2021. So I started the, we were incubated by Advanced Blockchain and then we basically spun out, did our own rounds of funding. Yeah, we've been around for a while now. We started actually working on Composable probably like January of 2021. So it's definitely been like a year and a half for sure, more than a year and a half. And you guys have a, bunch of products that each take a lot of time to build in and of itself so that's, yeah that's, i mean the like yeah the decks the oracle those could all be like separate projects but we really we really had to deal with the fact that there just isn't enough stuff out there in Polkadot. so we've had to really take a lot upon us to to push this ecosystem forward Okay, and compared to the infrastructure around Polkadot, how does Cosmos fare? Yeah, I mean, so it really depends on like which stack you're you're more curious about, right? So if you're familiar with Go, Cosmos SDK modules are would come sort of to you as second nature. Um, so spinning up a Cosmos chain makes a lot of sense. Our team is like heavily Rust oriented, uh, so Substrate made a lot of sense to us. But, you know, I just say like the, the, as you can see, we're a parachain project that's utilizing a lot of Cosmos primitives. And I think there's a reason for that, which is definitely the ingenuity and innovation of like novel ideas is a lot more prominent in Cosmos than it is in Polkadot. I don't necessarily think that's because the infrastructure is different. I really just think it's because the community is very different. So, yeah. What's the community in Polkadot like? Well, there was a pretty strong Kuzama community at some point, but a lot of them really just got wrecked because there's there's just a lot of teams stopped focusing on Kuzama. Um, again, because to a lot of them, it's a testnet. And that's not the way we think about Kuzama. So we've definitely been faced with this ecosystem where it's like the, the major piece 
of the ecosystem of the community was Kazama. They've all been sort of burnt. Polkadot community feels like very insidery, like uh, very whale oriented. So yeah, I, I think it's with Cosmos, like people have been very nice to us coming, you know, from Polkadot to do this type of IBC work. And I think there's just like a very collaborative sort of mindset. Like we honestly catch heat sometimes about the work we're doing around IBC within Dotsama. So really, um, yeah, for sure. So the I would say, yeah, I'd say there's definitely, for, yes. For using yeah, other tooling? Definitely. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a, a lot of tribalism um, in both communities, but I've definitely felt the love a lot over the past six to nine months from the Cosmos ecosystem, a lot more than Polkadot, that, that's for sure. Got it. And so, you know, when you guys decided to build Composable Finance, why was Cosmosm not part of the conversation? So we wanted to build a chain for sure, because we wanted to essentially become like this bridging hub and place where people could deploy sort of like these types of cross-chain dApps. So Cosmosm was always part of the part of the plan. Um, and that's like sort of now why we have Cosmosm on a pair chain. But I think for us, like the real question was, should we become a Cosmos chain or become a pair chain? And to be honest, I think the reason why we were drawn to, to Polkadot is because Substrate is a really great framework. There was also shared security initially. And I think like there's a lot of opportunity to really revitalize Polkadot and Kazama. And I think that's, you know, something that I was also drawn to. And I think for me, like now we sort of have the best of both worlds where we are, a, you know, a parachain. So we're using this, the fundamental infrastructure, but we're extending IBC and we're using Cosmosm. So it's like this weird Frankenstein of both ecosystems. Yeah, definitely. You're, I guess you're trying to have your cake and eat it too and sit between the two ecosystems. You're, you're definitely one of the first projects that I've talked to that's very much in between both. So Jack Alfonso asks, is there any MEV products in the composable ecosystem other than Apollo? Yeah, so um, I, I put out a thread the other day, like last week, where I was speaking about kind of like IBC, uh, MEV in the context of IBC. And if you think about a world in which like things are getting relayed by relayers and messages are getting relayed by relayers to do specific instructions, relayers become a pretty good source of MEV um, and being able to then sort of pass this information onto a validator who actually controls the actual transactions happening on a Cosmos chain. Like I think inevitably people like skip protocol, et cetera, are working with validators uh, to sort of create this kind of MEV marketplace in a way. And I think message, I think IBC still hasn't been factored into the equation. So we are looking at building sort of like middleware between relayers and validators, but it's very, very early. Um, but it is definitely something that, you know, we're anticipating to be a big, big part of our story. And what would that middleware be? So I think it could be something where basically a relayer, re, like sort of like relayer validator um, combined infrastructure. So basically like your relayer broadcast transactions to 
your validator on a specific chain. Or you could create a sort of marketplace where relayers broadcast messages to uh, not only you know the next chain where it's actually supposed to go, but also a place where validators could could take this information and act upon it. Um, and validators could pay relayers for uh, these types of actions, which then sort of fixes the re relayer incentivization problem. Um, and I think that information is going to be like pretty pretty valuable, and relayers should make a ton of money on this if it's executed properly. Yeah, effectively fixing the principal agent problem between validators and relayers. Exactly. Yep. Marmite Toast asks, how do you see IBC and XCM evolving together? When you look ahead, how do you see the flows between these ecosystems? Do you think that there will be a new narrative between Cosmos X dot Sama? Yeah, so there's the provocative answer. I'm going to go for like the less controversial answer, but... I think basically, I both. okay, so the less controversial answer is that these two things exist together. IBC becomes the sort of extraterrestrial communication framework for all ecosystems and XCM is maintained within a substrate ecosystem. But the provocative answer is XCM dies and all parachains use IBC um, and essentially parachains become kind of like a a new place for Cosmos chains to get uh, additional block space, right? So <laughs> Effectively turning the entire Polkadot ecosystem into a big layer two for Cosmos. Yeah, so I didn't want to say those exact words, but I mean... I'm saying there's, it. There's definitely, yeah. So the less... You tell them I said it. I'm going to go with the less provocative answer, which is I think overall, like I believe that there is a world in which DeFi primitives on will exist in both ecosystems and IBC to be the bridge between both of those primitives, I think is, is really, really interesting. Um, and I think over time, we'll see sort of the narrative changing around Dotsama where, you know, people, you know, shit on it so easily all the time uh, because they're just like, yeah, nothing's happening let's kill, you know, what's actually happening in Dotsama, like what's going on. Uh, hopefully with all the stuff we're doing, people can see it as like a viable place for DeFi because um, there, are, there are a lot of really interesting things you can do with substrate pallets. And I think, you know, with that, like it's, it definitely becomes a unique place that can interoperate with other ecosystems for like one cohesive DeFi story. So we're going to close with actually this little tidbit of information and circle back to our initial question of how many validators does the Polkadot relay chain have? And according to River, because I'm sure he looked it up online, it's a thousand validator slots, 297 are currently active and there's 700 waiting. Okay. Yeah, thanks Thank for you. that. Thank you, River. All right. Well, that concludes our interview. Thank you so much, Zero X Brain Jar. This was just very enlightening, and I look forward to potentially validating for you guys or collating. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for the time, and really, really appreciate the opportunity to speak. Absolutely, and I appreciate the work that you guys are doing, building all these fundamental building blocks that have yet to be built. Because again. The goal for this entire interchain ecosystem is for us to get ever closer to the 
network of networks, the singular internet of blockchains that we're working towards, and not just all of these ecosystems just like trying clunkily to talk to each other in one way or another. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.